Hello, 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 and welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. If this is your first time checking out the show, I'd like to say again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot. I hope you'll enjoy the show, and I hope that if you do, you will go ahead and listen to some other episodes, uh, as well as give me uh, some kind of understanding of what you think of the show, so you can either rate or review me on Apple Podcasts, or you can reach out to me on any of my social media or finally, you can reach out to me through my email, which is indefensiveliberation at gmail.com without any caps or spaces in the name. Um, but if this is you coming back, I'm glad to see you, or at least I'm glad to know you're here. And uh, I hope that uh, I'm able to do as good enough a job in this episode to get you to come back yet again. Uh, But now that we kind of got that out of the way, there's a few things I want to say headed into the episode, and then I'm going to go ahead and try to uh, cover this episode, which I've recorded like three or four times, but not really felt too keen on. Uh, So hopefully this is the the lucky one. But so the first thing I want to say is please go check out the homie. Uh, Ramiro Sebastian Foynez on YouTube, aka Unmasking Imperialism. He just did his 50th episode stream yesterday, which I and plenty of other far more intelligent, far more well-articulated people came on and spoke, such as uh, Comrade Libre X Sankara, um, Caleb Maupin, and a few other folks who, uh, you know, frequent the stream. Uh, had a lot of great things to say, so that was cool. The other thing I wanted to say is, if you haven't already, please go check out the ongoing uh, fundraiser, I guess you'd call it, uh, that Probably Cancelled podcast is doing to uh, align with the organization Affirm out of Hawaii, uh, talking about finding ways to provide funds for people to exit the sex trade. Um, you can go ahead and you can click on their online store and you can buy some dope merch or you can directly donate uh, to Affirm through another link which you can find on probably canceled podcasts uh, uh, episode details usually. So go ahead and check that out. The last two things I really want to say first and foremost are I hope everyone knows that during these holidays... Um, during this holiday season. Very few of us are as happy and as giddy for multiple different reasons uh, as they, you know, make this kind of season out to be. Um, A lot of people, especially since the beginning of the pandemic, have lost their loved ones, which make this time special. They have lost their housing or their, you know, kind of stability, which makes this time special. They might have lost you know, their job, they might have lost their income, and now they're not able to do anything for their family, not able to travel to go visit, etc. And again, as I mentioned, with COVID going around, I mean, unfortunately, I have a little 
you know, sniffly nose now. And, uh, God, I really hope that I'm not sick. But that's another thing that we're going to see is you're going to see the numbers skyrocket. Uh, So please, for the love of God, get organized as best you can in as safe as a way as you can. But remember that because of all the things I just mentioned, there are a lot of people already hurting. So we have to find ways to really help people. We have to find ways to be there for one another. And we have to find ways to organize so as to, you know, deeply impact these structural uh, issues, which are often intensified and worsened because of uh, waving uh, crises that happen every five to seven years. Uh, The last thing I wanted to say is this. Um, I have been working on uh, this podcast now for about two years. Um, I really enjoy it. I enjoy the content I'm able to put out, although I definitely do think that it needs to start getting a little bit better. And that's kind of my point. Um, I've been doing this podcast a very similar way, very similar format for about two years And I'm staying steady right around 50 to 60 listeners about every episode. Now, that's 50 to 60 people who are not reaching out, not telling me what I'm doing wrong, not telling me what information is incorrect, not telling me what they would like better, not telling me what topics they would be interested in, and also not telling me that they want to come on the show or they have, you know, an idea of who I should try to invite on the show or they know what show that I should try to get on. I would like to stress it again as I like you know, often do. Uh, I'm trying to build somewhat of a community here. Uh, I know it's difficult, you know, because social media and also just, you know, uh, mediums such as podcasting, etc. They're not always the easiest for developing a uh, fantastic form of connectivity, you know, at least on an interpersonal level like you could get if you were, you know, just my friend that worked with me, you know. Um, But I do want to be able to develop friendships and relationships with y'all. I do want to hear what, you know, work you're doing. I want to hear what stuff you've been involved in, what stuff you would like to get involved in, what books you're reading, what kind of content you're engaging with, what you think about questions, you know, and comments that I've made. I'd like to hear it all. Um, I'd like to learn from you. I'd like to learn from, uh, you know, any experience that you've had. And, you know, I'd really love to be able to get anybody and everybody who'd like uh, as, you know, uh, a comrade, but also as, uh, you know, someone who might want to come on the show and discuss these things even. So, yeah, those are the last things I want to say before I really get into it. Again, this episode I've tried to record like four to five times, so I'm probably just going to go for it. If you feel I kind of skipped over some points or went through uh, some analysis a little too uh, quickly, please let me know. If you feel that, you know, anything I've said here is disagreeable for whatever reason, again, I gave you the ways in which I'd like you to reach out to me, please do. Uh, But without further ado, I really want to talk about this idea of, uh, you know, lack uh, disorganization, uh, mass uh, misinformation and ignorance, Uh, as well as kind of the ideas of how you try to go about struggling against that. 
Now, there's a lot of contradictions that exist among, uh, you know, those of us who live within a capitalist society. Um, And all of those contradictions really look different depending on which part of the capitalist imperialist line you really find your footing. You know, if you are someone who, like me, is an exploited working class member of society, but is white, cisgender, and lives within the global north, the situation and circumstances which I find myself in, some of the contradictions which I have to deal with, are not as similar, or at least not necessarily the same, to what everybody else is going to be going through, say, in a colonized part of the world, you know, or even within Turtle Island, uh, black, brown, and indigenous people are going to be living different lives, suffering from different antagonisms than I am personally. And so, you know, knowing these things and finding ways to uh, work through them is one of the most important tasks of the working class as a whole. Um, but of course, we also know that contradictions exist uh, between the ruling class and the working class. That much, of course, is obvious. You have those that own everything and those who work to be able to just get a speck of crumb for food or a little bit of health care for a snack, right? On top of that, you also have uh, major contradictions among the ruling class. If you look at some of the individuals that are in power today, not only here in the United States, but also across the world, you think about folks like Merkel, you think about folks like Macron, you think about folks like Putin, you think about folks like Modi, you think about folks like Xi Jinping, you think about, you know, all kinds of folks from across the world. And you factor in the fact that each one of them has a specific objective for their own personal or, you know, national development. Even though we can all agree that they are aligned on the context of ownership and private property, they are not necessarily aligned for the same purpose, for the same interests across, you know, every uh, box, across every line. Um, There's things such as, you know, the COVID pandemic, which some uh, wealthy people have come out and said that, you know, we have to find ways to actually... uh, handle this problem, which again, you know, if you're that wealthy, if you're that powerful and you're coming out and saying, you know, we got to do something about this. Well, what are you doing there, buddy? You know, you're the one who's probably going to be able to do something a little easier than me. So why don't you go ahead and try something and then we'll, then we'll talk. But then of course, also you have the majority of the ruling class, which sees the COVID crisis as just yet another way, uh, that the economy can be, uh, crushed. You know, if, things are not handled in the way that they like. And this is why we're steering away from things like mass lockdown, uh, job closing, uh, stop on international trade and transport, as well as, you know, travel. Um, this is why uh, is be- it ultimately comes down to the fact that these folks are far more focused on the stock market and uh, their own, you know, trade then they'll ever be uh, concerned about a virus which is mostly killing uh, exploited and oppressed people. 
mean, this has been true for the uh, influenza pandemic. This was true for the SARS epidemic in Canada in 2012 and 2011. Uh, This is true for the Ebola epidemic, for the AIDS uh, epidemic, for just about every uh, deadly disease or virus that comes out. Uh, They find a way to make sure that it gets sectioned off in the poor and abused uh, communities and ultimately just uh, becomes yet another form of exploitation and oppression uh, of the working people. And so you also see contradictions among the ruling class when you're talking about uh, military developments. You have some groups like Raytheon, McKinley and Co., as well as other groups like NATO, OPEC, who have a direct interest in continuing the mass militarization and imperialism of the world by the Western powers. But then you also have the ruling class who really don't want to get dragged into this. They want to find a way to stay in the background. They want to be able to keep making their money on the backs of these people, but without having to necessarily be the ones pointing the gun at them. Um, All of this shows that there are, uh, you know, blatant contradictions between the uh, different members of society that all need to be clearly understood and clearly taken advantage of. Now, I think the average person that's going to be listening to the show might understand these things and feel a little bit, you know, kind of uh, unentertained in this conversation. But I think it's important that we recognize deeply how much that means we have to do work. I mean, okay, to be able to understand the contradictions between uh, a NGO organization going around uh, toting the idea of environmentalism and developmentalism uh, across the world uh, that is taking advantage of the financial capital as well as the industrial capital of a formerly colonized or imperialized nation and also understanding the difference between that and a nation that's coming in with armies that's coming in with guns, that's pointing nukes at them, that's surrounding them in submarines. These are two different realities that we're actively seeing today. Um, And on top of that, also knowing then what to do about that. Because, you know, we can dedicate a lot of time and study to being able to understand the contradictions as they exist, as they manifest themselves in reality. But two things really confront us. One, a lack of strategy and tactics about how to do anything about it, and two, a lack of an army to do anything, you know, with these strategies and tactics. Because, again, if you look throughout history, it's not even just Marxists who have great analysis of what the fuck's going on. If you look at some of the teachings and some of the writings, some of the, uh, you know, different oral traditions of indigenous peoples here in the Americas or across the world, you can see that clearly they understood that colonization was bad, that it was going to lead to these further issues, that it was causing this division among the people, it was destroying their way of life, it was developing patriarchy further, and it was leading towards things like the sex trade, monopoly capitalism, etc. They, they saw that as early as, you know, 13, 1400s, they uh, clearly uh, advocated for an end to this practice, which was going to lead to these further problems and was already leading to them at that point. So, you know, it's not especially necessary to say, 
uh, you know, these few folks who I enjoy have had the correct analysis on the situation. But it is important to say that even though we know what's going wrong, even though we know who it's going to hurt, how it's going to hurt us, when it's going to hurt us, who's going to be doing it to us, we're not always able to mobilize uh, any kind of force that's going to be able to stand as a counterweight to that. Um, And that's an issue that a lot of resistance movements since the earliest days of, you know, the Spanish Inquisition, the earliest days of colonization, and the earliest days of class society, is that if these groups who are resisting are not able to connect with the broad masses uh, and aren't able to actually mobilize any sort of power that is going to stand a chance against their oppressors, it doesn't matter how correct their ideas are. It doesn't matter how correct their analysis of the situation is. If they don't have the proper tactics, if they don't have the proper support, they're not going to succeed in their objectives, plain and simple. So first and foremost, the thing that we need to understand we're lacking is a base. And I don't necessarily mean that militarily, but you know, if you want to see it as such, it really doesn't harm the analogy which is the fact that we really don't have any protection surrounding us. Lenin writes in, uh, I think it's either State and Revolution or what is to be, I think it's what is to be done, where he basically says, you know, we are surrounded on all sides, constantly under attack by almost every sector of, oh my God, Jesus, the line to the fucking COVID-19 testing place is, oh my God, I'm so sorry to be cutting off that idea, but I'm driving and I just saw that. Fuck! (sighs) I hate this country, I hate this system, and I hate this pandemic. But anyways, continuing forward... Um, yeah, so you basically have this notion in what is to be done that Lenin puts forward that, listen, we're all constantly under attack, right? And we're trying to find ways to lock arms, to lock steps, and to be able to achieve our goals, to be able to mobilize the masses, to be able to bring political education to them, to be able to get them armed and ready to do something about the situation, and then get them to do it and win And, you know, obviously in that, Lenin is talking about some of the mistakes that the comrades are making. So he's saying, you know, some of us were coming up on this marsh and you're saying, you know, why don't we go into the marsh? And then when we tell you, no, it's not a good idea, you sit around and say, oh, well, that's so undemocratic of you. That's so unfair that you're not, you know, doing what it is that each of us want to do. Some of us want to go in the marsh. And Lenin, you know, of course, basically says, you know, if you want to go on the marsh, go ahead. Uh, It suits you. Um, But we're not going to be following you. Just go ahead and let go of our hand. And that's kind of the situation we're in. You know, a lot of us who are trying to find ways to organize, a lot of us who ourselves are new to this, we're isolated. And even if we have small organizations, those organizations are often isolated. And so that becomes obviously a real difficulty when you're trying to 
get millions and millions of people to change the way that they think about the world, but also to change the way that they live in the world. Lenin, you know, and others say that uh, it's the tens and millions of changed habits that really pose the biggest threat to the socialist project. And of course, that fanned on by capitalist and imperialist powers such as the United States, Germany, Britain, France, etc., all kind of led to more and more of that contradiction, more and more of that petty bourgeois nature and class collaboration, which ultimately led to the overthrow by capitalism of the Soviet Union, uh, among other places. Now, one of the most important things that we're missing is a base. We don't have a genuine mass support for the and, and, and I, I say this cautiously because I don't think we have a genuine conscious support for socialist programs, for communist, uh, you know, ideas and uh, revolutionary politics. But we can't say that there is no need. We can't say there is no interest if we're speaking clearly of class interest. Because there is most definitely a class interest for the exploited and oppressed people to join alongside the socialists and the communists and begin fighting for a proletarian revolution. There is a direct and visible interest for the masses uh, of oppressed people to want to change the reality that we're living in and want to do it in a proletarian socialist way. But that doesn't necessarily mean, again, that there is a conscious interest, that people are actively organizing for such. And that is really what we are up against. And one thing I want to talk about trying to uh, improve, trying to learn from, and trying to develop better tactics and strategies for ourselves and our own organizations that we're a part of now. So I'm not coming on here trying to act like I know what the fuck I'm talking about. This is something I'm actively learning right now. But something that I am actively learning right now is that without a base, without a mass of support, it's really difficult to push across ideas uh, such as these ones, but especially to push them across in a way, of course, as we were discussing, which leads towards actual change, which leads towards actual organizing and development. Because, you know, again, a lot of people now are starting to be a little bit more keen towards the ideas of things like Medicare for All, uh, you know, an end to joblessness, uh, free education, etc. But, you know, as someone like Emmanuel Ness clearly points out on Guerrilla History Pod, um, none of that is possible without the continued imperialism and capitalist nature of the U.S. empire against the global south. If you expect we're going to be able to dedicate more of our funds towards Medicare or towards universal, uh, you know, education or child care, you really don't understand what the United States is, what it does, and how it really builds itself. And you also don't understand the relations between the global north and the global south because this is something we clearly have to stress as well. But anyways... The necessity for a base is one thing which we're really working on. And I want to finish out on this because I don't have much time. But the necessity for a group of, you know, exploited and oppressed people to side along with your programs, 
with your ideas, with your organization, and with the actions that you take, that's the way which we really begin to develop a mass movement. Now, of course, when we talk about socialism, when we talk about communism, we talk about the need of turning a mass movement into a mass organization. However, we are at the stage in a lot of cases here in the West, and especially on Turtle Island, where mass movements aren't even able to take hold, where oftentimes mass movements are co-opted, corrupted, uh, taken uh, apart bit by bit, their energy thrown in different directions, and ultimately really uh, watered down into uh, almost even non-radical ideas, like defund the police, which really is not going to happen plain and simple and it's a it's a it's not really a viable strategy because i mean first and foremost who's going to force them to defend defund that money second of all who's going to force them to upkeep where they're putting that money and make sure that these community you know groups make sure these uh counselors and make sure all these other people that were trying to use this money uh to hire or you know these other uh, things like universal education or child care that will help to tamp down crime and stuff like that. Who's going who's gonna to hold them accountable? Who's going to make sure that they keep doing the shit that they say they're going to do? Because we all know that they never do what they're going to do. We know this. We say it every time an election comes up. Yet when they don't do the things that they say they're going to do, how often do you see an actual consequence be had by the ruling class individuals who go against their word. Hmm? There are oftentimes, you know, movements and demonstrations that are had. There are petitions that are signed. There are elected officials even who might be revoked from their position come the next term. And, you know, somebody else might get voted in and maybe do some of the same behaviors of, you know, running their mouth and then not acting upon it. But this is kind of the difficulty is like as socialists and communists, one of our main objectives is to not only see the needs of the people, to not only just, you know, properly uh, speak to them about what those issues are, where they're coming from, how they're caused and how they can be changed, but also staying true to our word and being there day by day, you know, step by step, fixing those problems in whichever way we can alongside the masses of people themselves. You know, this is one of the most important things about uh, socialism and communism, which is uh, using the truth as praxis and being able to develop uh, a system uh, dialectically, which is able to, again, develop out of the circumstances that it was born into. So, you know, this seems a little bit difficult, but ultimately it's just a process which takes time. And that's why base building is so important, because Once we get to the stage where, you know, we feel we would be able to do some kind of action like that, support the people, if they don't know who we are, if they don't give two shits about us, uh, how much help can we really give if we're not connected to them? How much help can we really give if we're, you know, uh, you know, not necessarily even a a speck of dust on the mind of the people themselves? Um, We have to obviously lead. In some sense, we have to know better than the average person what needs to be done. But the objective is to take that knowledge and to give it to the masses so that together you can build a popular struggle for power against the capitalist and imperialist ruling class. 
Um, Something like that can only be done through a timely process uh, and through struggles, which really oftentimes are discounted, but also as connected to struggles which we normally romanticize. When I'm reading Blood in My Eyes by George Jackson, I'm thinking about all the stuff that, you know, needs to be done before someone like Jonathan uh, Jackson, his younger brother, can go out with, as he says in the book, his anti-Nixon launcher, take out, you know, the, the limo with this or that person in it, have nine people behind him to defend him with assault rifles, etc., as, you know, uh... George Jackson clearly points out is necessary. And he also says that we need a political apparatus not too far away that will be able to clearly uh, explain what happened to the masses of people so as to not, you know, ultimately have negative responses from such violence because ultimately the average person isn't going to be too keen on their neighborhood being lit up with bullets and and gunfire and uh, arrests, etc. But if they can understand that this is happening because, as they know, they are constantly harassed and exploited and oppressed by the police, and now there's a group that's coming in that's fighting back, that, as, you know, George and Jonathan say, are helping to make sure that there are those sharing in the dying. Because, you know, a lot of people will say, well, some folks really aren't interested in revolution and revolutionary politics because they're already dying today. They don't want to know nothing about a revolution. But to that, I would say that if that's the case, why is it that all across the world, black, brown and indigenous people are leading the struggle? You know, if you want to talk about people are sick of dying, people are sick of putting themselves in danger. Wouldn't you think that these are some of the people who would be most sick of it? considering they are oftentimes the ones who are suffering from this the most, you know, frequently. Um, and also in that sense, if, if that's our worry, if we're saying these people are dying and so we don't want to have a revolution because these people are dying, well, what good is sitting around and letting them die going to do? You think one day the benevolence of the ruling class is just going to click and they're going to say, you know what? We don't really like killing people anymore. It's not nice. No, because ruling class elites and the power structure as it is does not allow for the death of millions because they think it's nice or because on the flip hand that because they're evil. They do it because it makes them a shit ton of money and they don't have to think about it because they're rich and powerful. And then they can write the laws that make it so that any kind of assistance towards these people is through private companies that they own, which then they make more money off of. This is why we need a proletarian revolution, because we need the masses of people themselves not only armed and weaponized with the knowledge and the tools necessary to free themselves, but also with the power to change the reality themselves and build a new society from the ground up. But this takes time. I mean, imagine any person that you know talking to them about revolution. How do you expect that it would go? If you don't think it would go well, then that's because there is not a base in your area which those folks are plugged into, which helps them to understand socialism and communism, not as these, you know, ridiculous and reactionary propagandized ideas of violence and death and destruction, 
and anti-Christianity and anti-Americanism, etc. Although these things are central to the previous, you know, socialist projects which have been built. But in fact, socialism and communism is one of the earliest and most, you know, human uh, known types of organization. George Jackson says clearly there's two ways in which you can structure a society. One, where you are developing class antagonisms and two, where you're fighting against them. Either you have an egalitarian system or you have a private property system. Either you have people who can own and oppress others or you have no ability to own and use the labor of another to oppress and exploit them for your own benefit. These are the only two types of societies that can be built. There is no in-between. The in-between is a ruse in the same way that liberalism is a ruse to call itself different than conservatism. In the same way that the Democratic Party being different than the Republican Party is different. In the same way that being neutral on the violence that is incurred on black, brown, and indigenous people worldwide is not a anti-violent stance, but in fact a pro-violent stance, because by standing aside, you are allowing the bullets to rain down. So the last thing I really want to say before I have to go is this. There are strategies which need to be implemented to really begin connecting with our communities. You know, a lot of us have some good organizations that are doing work, but if we're not able to see the needs of the masses and really meet them in an objective way, in a way that shows people that socialism and communism, the idea of popular power and proletarian revolution are the way out, then in fact we ultimately are uh, reaffirming the status quo as it is, whether we're doing it consciously or not. And that's something that really needs to be said, because I think a lot of Western imperial, or well, yeah, Western imperialists, a lot of Western leftists uphold imperialism. They uphold certain forms of sexual oppression through the sex trade by calling it sex work and saying that it's liberatory. Um, they uphold all kinds of racial, gender, ethnic, and national oppression by conceiving the idea of race incorrectly and ultimately analyzing the situation in a way which leads towards more liberal politics, which leads towards more separation and division, which leads towards more antagonism and contradiction rather than the solution of these antagonisms and contradiction through unity, solidarity, and struggle. Because this is the only way that we can overcome these things. It's not enough to know what needs to be done and then be able to implement it. Because really, you're not going to be able to implement these things in a moment notice, even if you had the power. Because if you look at countries like Nicaragua, Cuba, China, Vietnam, they've all had to struggle from all kinds of uh, symptoms and circumstances which they've incurred uh, prior to uh, announcing themselves as a socialist nation, as struggling against capitalism and imperialism, but especially since having done so. And that's why groups like the Non-Aligned Movement, the Soviet Bloc, the SELAC, um, all have had to form and grow themselves, and why internationalism is one of the most important things that we need to be stressing now. Because one thing that we don't need to be doing is further dividing ourselves. We need to fight in a context which we exist in, which is a national one, but not in a nationalistic sense, which is reactionary but is in fact revolutionary. Because revolutionary nationalism leads to 
revolutionary internationalism if it is done correctly. And so this is one of the things that we have to stress, which is that internationalism is one of the key features of a truly socialist, a truly proletarian revolution, which is going to be able to actually lead its own self towards a victory, but also go around supporting and upholding socialism for those who also want to lead their liberation struggles themselves. This is what the Soviet bloc did. I mean, you got to think about the fact that the Soviet Union was an amalgamous being of a dozen plus different nation states which were able to secede and develop themselves through their own liberation struggle in a way that would have never been allowed under uh, capitalist or imperialist hegemony because under that uh, sense, these uh, places would be considered neo-colonies in the same way that Africa and Latin America are neo-colonies of Europe and America today. And that's why we need true revolutionary politics. I want to shout out folks like uh, Gabriel Boric and uh, Giomara Castro in Honduras, uh, but especially stress the importance of projects like Nicaragua, Venezuela, Bolivia, China, Vietnam, which is able to see the contradictions among the people and find ways to bring them together in a non-reactionary, non-erasing, uh, uh, and uh, non I guess I already said reactionary, but really in a way that is meant to give each of them the tools for their own equal liberatory struggles, not so that one group can tell the others how to do their liberatory struggle, not so one group can be the leadership of an organization which all these other oppressed groups are a part of. We've seen that time and time again, and we need no more part of that. We need proletarian organizations built on democratic central centralization, leading towards revolution and liberation. We do not need any more of what already has been had and failed before. We need to learn history. We need to learn dialectics. We need to learn revolutionary politics. We need to learn strategies and tactics. We need to learn how to build our base. And we need to get organized now. Because the only thing that's going to stop the ongoing aggression against China, against Russia, against all these other countries in Latin America, the only thing that's going to fight the ongoing sanctions that are killing people in Afghanistan, in Syria, in Somalia, in Iran, in all of these countries throughout the world, if we actually want to stop the pollution that is destroying the planet, the water, the animal life, and the ability for people all over the world to live safe healthy lives, then we have to figure out a way to really get organized because we can't attack these things as a bunch of individuals. We can't attack these things as a bunch of uh, divided organizations. We can't attack these things on any other basis than unity, solidarity, and shared struggle. But we have to find a way that we can do that that isn't reactionary, that doesn't erase other people's struggles, and ultimately leads towards a proletarian revolution. Because as we know and as we discuss on this show, that is the only true way out of the situation we all find ourselves in today. If you are still listening to this, I'd like to say thank you so much. Please, for the love of God, do a few things for me after I hit this bowl. One. Go read Blood in My Eye by George Jackson, as well as Soledad Brother. They're very short, they're letter form almost, and they're very easy to absorb, but very important. Also, please go listen to a few different podcasts if you haven't already. 
First and foremost, I always want to stress checking out by any means necessary because they do great ongoing content every single day that keeps you updated. Check out also Rev Left Radio, Guerrilla History Podcast, and Red Menace. Check out the Probably Cancelled Podcast, Give the People What They Want. The East is a podcast as well as Bands of Turtle Island. Please check out the Red Nation Podcast. Please check out also Comrade Reads. Uh, Millennials are Killing the Planet, Dixieland of the Proletariat, Little Red Schoolhouse, Anti-Conquista, Working People, Mark's Madness, uh, and uh, also I would stress This Is Hell. That's another good one. Empire Files, Africa World Now uh, Podcast, a.k.a. Africa World Now Project, and... uh, yeah, that's re- and uh, anti conquista. If I didn't say it already, but I also want you to go check out on YouTube a few different channels that I really enjoy. So I'm going to make you listen to them. Uh, Ramiro Sebastian Fuentes, aka Unmasking Imperialism. Also check out Luna Oi. Check out Rad Reads with my homie Brent. Um, check out uh, Marxist literature or Marxist Leninist uh, theory check out um the marxist project check out uh hakeem and uh plenty of others on there which i'm forgetting right now and also please go ahead and read lenin read walter rodney read uh kwame nkrumah read seko Touré, read uh comrade joma read um uh, there's all kinds of books you can check out. The Ho Chi Minh Selected Works just got dropped by Foreign Language Press. I ordered that shit. Go ahead and read Lenin, read Stalin, read Marx, meet, read Mao. Um, don't let these works be intimidating because they're not. They are difficult, but they're difficult in a way that people can understand through, you know, continued study. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or any of the people that I just mentioned. I'm sure they would respond and answer any of your questions that you have. But if you feel, you know, less inclined to do that, please reach out to me and I'd love to talk to you. Uh, But lastly, folks, as I always like to stress, please go join revolutionary organizations. Look up the groups that are doing uh, prison abolition work, that are doing community garden work, that are doing self-defense work, that are doing, um, you know, even if we might necessarily be like a little concerned about folks who focus on uh, political engagement, um, ultimately something like this can be judged more properly by seeing what the organization is doing as a whole, not just saying that they look at elections as an opportunity to, uh, advance the struggle and therefore we don't want to participate with them because we're against electoralism, but in fact find ways in which organizations are really putting in work and find ways to help out yourself. Uh, get organized, get connected with people, get talking, get learning yourself, and remember that the only way that any of this is going to change is by us changing it ourselves and learning from those who have tried to change it before us as well as supporting those who are already trying to change it in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, and here on Turtle Island today. Find ways to support them, find ways to be a real comrade, and find ways to lead the struggle in your own community today. Thank you for listening. We'll talk next time. Stay safe, stay revolutionary, and uh, stay healthy, folks. Bye-bye.